Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now Here's this week's podcast. Wednesday with Vicki, Thursday with Jeannie. Hello. Oh, hi. No, this is Teresa. Oh, you got the wrong number? Oh, but listen, listen, listen. Let me tell you who has the right number. That was Jesus. Where are you going to go when you die? Hello? Hello? Can't hurt then. Mm. Okay. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Do you know of a carpenter anywhere that you could recommend? Why, yes, I do. In fact, I could recommend. Well, let me tell you. I know this guy from Nazareth that was a carpenter, and he changed my life. (laughs) All you have to do is just ask him for forgiveness. Well, I can say I have never heard that line before. Well, (laughs) let me tell you, Jesus is a person that can save your sins, and he can also um, just basically, why have you never heard that line before? Uh, Well, let me me introduce myself. I'm the new pastor at Northside Grace Community Church. Let me tell Uh, you, uh, Jesus is the way. He's the only way. And here is a, here's a track. This will tell you everything. Because Romans 6 says, For the wages wages of sin sin is death. See, you've got a little bit of it. All you need is the rest of it. And that will give you the rest of it. All you do, your ABC. You ask Jesus. My bus is here. You ask Jesus for forgiveness. Yes, honey, I I know. And you confess your sin. Yes. I I wish I could stay a little longer. See, good luck with that. Okay, thank you. Hi! Do you know a good blood donor? That has to be the worst line I have ever heard. Well, huh. Well, I'm sorry. By the way, I'm your conscience. You're my conscience? Mm -hmm. I really thought you'd be bigger. Well, I am here to help you. Oh, my gosh. Well, I can't witness to my own conscience. I don't think it counts. Well, first, you're going to run out of people really fast if you keep using those lines you're using. I don't understand. Well, let me ask you this. Okay. Did Jesus care about the people that he talked to when he was on the earth? Sure. And um, so that's wonderful. Now, tell me, the last guy you were talking to, what was his name? Let me see. I wrote it down here. I'm sure I wrote it down here. That's okay. That's okay. You don't have to know his name. But why was that important? Tell me how he responded to me. Well, not very good. He was kind of pushy. So, 
Do you really care about the people you talk to about Jesus, Amy? Well, yeah. Sure I do, because Jesus told us to. Jesus said that we're supposed to go out and evangelize, because he said so. Well, this guy, John, at the cafe, he's on your list, right? Let me see. Yeah, he's right here. All right. So tell me how he reacted when you talked to him. Well, he got a little mad because I kept putting the tracks in his tip jar. But that was the best tip that he ever had. I'm just saying. Well, I will tell you, Annie, that people can tell when you're just checking off their name off of an agenda and that you're not really caring about them. Or that you're getting in my business like you are. Mm-hmm. So here's an idea. Okay. Before you start each day, why don't you start off praying and asking God to show you who He wants you to talk to? You know that could be that could work, mm-hmm. and He'll that take care work. of the rest of it. Because you know, I, if you um, if God's Spirit is not at work, and if you're not in tune with God, then you're not going to be successful. This is very very true. I guess I could always go back to the coffee shop and talk to everybody that I always deal with. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's a good start. You could sh- develop a relationship with those people and then talk to them about Jesus. But but I've got all these one-liners. What am I going to do with all those one-liners? Like, like this one. Have you ever had a stranger knock on your door? Jesus knocks on your door. Jesus knocks on your door and he wants to come in and see it. Come, Jack. Well, good morning. I hope those aren't any of your techniques. Maybe that video should have been titled, What Not to Do. What Not to Do. Hey, if you have your Bible, if you'll open up to the book of Ephesians this morning, while you are turning there. Let me just give you a couple of uh, uh, reminders, Ephesians chapter 2. We have a couple new small group classes that are continuing today, single singles again, which will meet right behind this building in the education building. If you're new, just find me or find one of our staff and we'll lead you up there this morning. Connie is leading that class and then also uh, I started a class a couple weeks ago for those that are looking for a place to plug in on Sunday, so we'd love for you uh, to join us. I want to kind of talk to you about uh, this morning about some good news. And the reality is, uh, and they did a great job with the the video and the drama and the skit, is that we make it very difficult, more difficult than it should be, to share the good news of Jesus. When I find out that there's a new restaurant in town and I go eat there and there's good service and great food, nobody has to prompt me to tell other friends about it. It comes naturally because it's good. It's good. I enjoy it. And our relationship with Jesus should be the same way uh, when we share the good news. So this morning we're going to kind of talk about is the good news still good? And I'll go ahead and give you the punchline of the sermon. If you need to slip out early, the answer is yes. But why is it good? And we're going to talk about that this morning. So let's look at it together. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working on the sons of disobedience, 
Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Here's the transitional verse in this passage. But God. Love those words. But God. Being rich in mercy because of His great love, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God lest any man should boast. Not a result of works. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My prayer this morning for every single one of us, including the preacher, is that I will know with clarity, am I a child of God? Am I a Christian? Because I think in our culture and even in the church world, we have so confused pastors, which I am one now, so I'll put myself in that group, have so confused us about what it means to know Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved. Is it having your name on a church roll? No. Is it being a great church member? No. Is it improving our lives or allowing Jesus to improve our lives? No. Jesus did not come to make us better. Is that a surprise to you? Jesus came to make us brand spanking new. If we had anything that was worthy of making better, then his death on the cross was a waste of time. So I bring nothing good to the table in and of of me. It's all because of the awesome love of Jesus. So in light of coming through Easter and the resurrection, and if you study the earlier passage, the earlier chapter of Ephesians, Paul is talking about Jesus now, after being crucified, risen, he's kind of telling us here, what are the benefits of Jesus in the resurrection? Where is the power for us to live the Christian life? I don't know about you, but there have often been times over my years of being a a Christian, a disciple, where it's been a struggle. Maybe I'm the only one. Where things get hard. Where I've even doubted, okay, Lord, my goodness, do I even really know you? I'm doing some stupid stuff. Do I really even know you? How do I know? What does the Bible say or the characteristics of somebody who is a Christian and somebody's over here? Glad you asked. Paul's going to tell us this morning. So we're going to kind of do something a little different this morning and kind of go through this passage uh, verse by verse and kind of stop. And I just want to make some points. And here, here's the first one about is the good news still good? Why is it good? The first thing is we have to understand there's bad news. If there's good news, there has to be bad news. Otherwise, it wouldn't be good news. That's kind of what differentiates good and bad. If something's good, there has to be something to contrast it with that is bad. And we have to understand the bad news. I think in my own life, I'm not going to say this about us, but in my own life, I think sometimes the reason that I don't think the good news is all that great, I think sometimes the reason I am not a, as passionate a sharer of the good news as I should be is because I fail to remember how bad the bad news really is. 
Because when you contrast the bad news with the good news, you realize the good news is not just good news. It's great news. It's phenomenal news. It's the best news ever told. Best news ever heard. So I think we have to understand the bad news. And so Paul tells us here what is the bad news. The very first thing he says in verse 2 is, here's the bad news. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, I called Joey this week. And I said, do you think we could get the mortuary to allow us to borrow a coffin? He didn't say yes or no. He didn't shoot the idea down. Because he wouldn't do that. We talked about it. I, I wish this morning that we could have done that and rolled the coffin out here. Because it is a picture in this passage. The imagery that Paul is using is exactly that. It's, it's being dead. And, and not to bring up morbid thoughts to you today. But guys, listen. We do not know what tomorrow brings. I'm standing up here preaching right now. I don't know actually what's going to happen this afternoon. I don't know. The only thing that I need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt is the certainty of where I will spend eternity. That's the only thing that really matters. Everything else is gravy. So I hope that today you'll know. And, and as I share with you, and God's Word hopefully speaks to you, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, there's no shame. If you find yourself in here wrestling with what does this mean to be a Christ follower, my prayer is at the end of the message, at the end of this study, going through these verses, you'll know. And you'll be able to make a decision, an informed decision. And so he says, you have been dead in your trespasses and sins. A couple of questions I jotted down. You know I like to jot down questions as I'm thinking. And here's the first one I wrote down. What can a dead person do? Nothing. What does a dead person most need? They need life. That's what they need. So Paul is saying, if you don't know Jesus, before you knew God, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And there's a couple interesting words there. Trespasses and sins. They are two distinctive things that he says there. Trespasses means this, that you have crossed the line, you have crossed over God's boundary. It's almost like if you go hunting... And you're out there with your gun on somebody else's property and you see the sign that says no trespassing, but you choose to climb through the barbed wire fence because you thought you saw a doe over there and you're going for it. You have trespassed, you have crossed a boundary and moved into an area where you don't have authority to go. And that's what he's saying there when he talks about trespasses. He talks about sin. The Bible, in the, in the Bible, the word sin is missing the mark. It's an archery term, which I don't know if you've ever pulled a bow and arrow, I have, it's been a long time, and you shoot, it's not just missing on the right or the left, the target, it's the arrow coming, and if the target's that wall, the arrow falls right here, you fall short, you don't even get anywhere close to the target, it's not even that you get to the right or the left, you don't even get anywhere close, and Paul is saying, those of us who are dead in our trespasses and sins, we miss the mark, we cross the line, now let me just say this too, This is one kind of imagery that we find in the Bible when it talks about people who don't know Jesus. There's a lot of other things the Bible tells us about not knowing Jesus. Not just the imagery of being a dead person. We we know in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about being blind. He talks about in Romans about being a slave to sin. We studied in Mark about people who were sick, spiritually sick. Under the power of darkness. Paul says in Ephesians, we're an alien and a stranger if we don't know God. So there are a lot of different descriptive words that we find in the New Testament 
about not knowing Jesus. But here's the interesting thing, and this is why this is bad news. It's bad news because of what he says in the second verse. He says this, You are dead in your trespasses and sins, verse 2, in which you formerly walked. Can I tell you something? I've been a Christian a long time. It's easy for me to look at people who have no relationship with Jesus and be judgmental. Don't look at me like that. You are too. It's easy for me to be judgmental. Why are they doing that? Why, are they do- Why would they act that way? It's easy for me to look at media and get all hyped up and get angry at people who are acting that way. And when you don't know Jesus, that's the way you're going to act. But here's what Paul is saying. That used to be you. So I can get angry and upset, but that used to be me. Once walked, he says, in which you formerly walked. Some translations say once walked. It, hopefully he's saying it should be different if you know Jesus. So one of the contrasts right out of the gate in this chapter is, you once walked in that in sins and, transpa- and trespasses. Now if you're a child of God, you should be over here. It should be a different picture. Some of you may be uh, trying to lose weight. I know used to when I was trying to lose weight and I'm still trying to lose weight. I would look at different pictures of guys who are buff, you know, like Joey. And I'd put those images everywhere, you know, on my refrigerator or whatever, because that's what I was trying to get to. I wasn't there yet. I looked like over here, but I'm trying to get over here. And he's saying to us, you once walked. And if you once walked, you should have this new image. There should be a new image, a new, he says it elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, a new creation. You should be alive. Now, here's the interesting thing. A dead person would feel comfortable in their coffin. Why? Because they're dead. But an alive person trapped in a coffin would go absolutely ballistic. Some of you who are claustrophobic know what I'm talking about. In Boy Scouts, I went one time spelunking, and we went into all these caves... And they were crawling around, some of my guys, some of my friends were leading me through this cave, pitch dark, couldn't see your hand right here, nothing. And I remember getting through this space, and I was a little heftier then, a little chunkier then. And I got caught in between these two rocks in there, and I'm telling you what, Jesus could have come back right then and been fine with me, because I thought I was just going to freak out. I was so claustrophobic. Because we are alive, if we are alive... To live in our sins and trespasses should make us spiritually feel like we're trying to break free out of a coffin. Because we're not dead, we're alive. So he's giving us some things to think about here. He says this, he says, You formerly walked in these things according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? The devil. Satan. So if you're still spiritually dead, he's saying you are going to follow the devil. And when you were spiritually dead, before you came to know Jesus, the bad news was you were following the devil. You were walking in disobedience. Among whom, verse 3 says, we all once lived past. If you're a child of God now, that was past. You lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature. Now, that word caught me this morning, so I want to just stop and say something about it. You were by nature children of wrath. Some people believe, and some of your friends believe, and my friends believe, that 
Well, man is basically good. Let me just tell you, we had a series a few weeks ago about myths. That's a myth. Man is basically bad. That's why we needed the cross. Man was good. When God created man and woman, he said it is good. We were good until we chose our own way. And that's when the sin nature entered and we became bad. So what Paul is saying here is, he's saying to you, whether you think you're all that great or you're like the rich young ruler that Jesus saw and said, well, I've kept all the, I've kept all the commandments and you think you're good, the reality is Paul is reminding us here that you are, it's not by an error, it's not by a mistake, it's not by a few sinful actions that make you bad. You and I are bad before Christ because our nature is bad. So if you encounter people in culture, friends, co-workers, family, who say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. No, according to the Bible, your nature is not. And neither is mine. We are children of wrath, he says, just like the rest of mankind. As I was kind of reading that verse 3 this week, I thought about two things. He's talking about what we used to be. And for those of us who are not there anymore... That's our old picture. Our new picture is we're over here, we're buff and muscular and whatever the after picture is. If you're over here after, the good news is, as you look back on the past, it should humble you. Because of the greatness of the love of God, it should humble you. We talked about the humility of children last week. But the other thing that it should do is, you think about what you could have been. It should make you grateful. When I think about some of the mistakes I made, and not that I still don't make mistakes, but the mistakes that were not under the blood of Christ before when in my past, it makes me extremely grateful for the incredible love of God. So we've got to understand all the bad news that we were separated from God. We were in our sins. We were in our transgressions. We were in our trespasses. We were dead. We were following the devil. We were pursuing our own passions, our own evil desires. But here's my favorite verse in this passage, but God. Two most powerful words, I think, in the Bible, but God. The second thing we've got to think about is this. We have to understand who made the good news possible. Almighty God made the good news possible. He was the, re the little kid on the street waving the newspaper saying, good news, good news, good news. And in a world where there's Almost bad news and negative news all the time. I think our world is craving good news. Matter of fact, I think they're looking at those of us who know Jesus, waiting on us to be like the little boy on the street corner back in the day with a newspaper saying, I got good news. But a lot of times we like to hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. So we've got to get out there and we've got to share the good news. But to do that, we have to understand who made the good news possible. God made the good news possible. He loved us that much. Paul says it this way in Romans, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is not waiting on you or me this morning for you to get your act together. I know statistically, not that I'm God and not that I'm all-knowing, but I know probably statistically there's at least a couple of people in here that are over here, and you want with all your heart to be over here. And maybe some of your thinking is, if I could just clean myself up enough to be presentable to come to God, dear friend, that will never happen. 
That's the greatness of God. God is the one that will clean you up. God is the one that will forgive you. God is the one that stands there arms wide open waiting on you just exactly like you are. Now, does he want you to stay exactly like you are? No. That's why he loves you. But he's waiting for you. And when you understand that he is the one who made the good news possible, he made the good news possible by sacrificing his son on the cross, then it takes on a different meaning. So what is that good news he made possible? Well, that's the third thing. We have to understand what the good news is. We have to understand what the gospel, gospel means good news. We have to actually understand what is the good news. And Paul outlines it for us because he says this in verse 4. God being rich in mercy. So let's stop. I'm going to stop along the way here several times. Rich in mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is you and I not getting what we deserve. That's mercy. Let me give you an example. Personal example. Young people do not follow this example. I remember when I was young, driving. Had my car, teenager. My sister and her boys are here. Thank you all for coming this morning. She remembers. Had my 68 Mustang convertible. Was out driving somewhere I shouldn't have been driving. At a rate of speed that I should have not been driving. I remember that blue light. I remember pulling over. I remember that officer coming to the side of the, the door. And I would roll down. And yeah, just I think I said this the other week. Yeah, I rolled down the window. That's how I had to do it. Rolled down the window. He comes up. Here's what he says. Boy, I knew I was in trouble right then. I've been trying to catch you for the past 25 miles. And I was like, oh, I am dead. This is what I thought. I am dead. Mom and daddy going to kill me. Mom and daddy going to put, we'll edit this out because I don't want mom and daddy to see this. I'm not even sure mom and daddy know this to this day. So we'll do some editing. Came up to the window, said, I've been trying to catch you the past 25 miles. Do you know how fast you were going? No, sir. Do you know how fast you should have been going? No, sir. Said, well, the speed limit is 35. I'm not going to tell you how fast you're going, but you were going twice what the speed limit is at least. Needless to say, I got the ticket. And he said, this ticket right here, this is a special ticket. This ticket means you get to come talk to the judge. No pay the fine, no take the driving class. It means you get to go talk to the judge. And I remember going and talking, sitting, going in the little courtroom. Roebuck, South Carolina, a little magistrate's office. I remember going in there. I didn't walk in there to the judge and say, Judge... I'm guilty, I'm guilty, give me justice. It's not what I said. I said, because I, I watched Judge Judy, I said, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. Don't ask me how it happened, but somehow I walked out of there, and that was not recorded. Well, it is now because it's on camera. It was not recorded permanently anywhere. That's mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. What I deserve, what I have earned, that the verse of Scripture that Teresa was trying to get the fit folks in the video to get, what I have earned, according to Paul in the book of Romans, is the wages of my sin is death. The wages, you get wages when you go work. You get a paycheck. You get a wage. My wage that I have earned as a human being is death. That's the wage I earned on this side of the story. But God, 
The good news is God is rich in mercy. Why is he rich in mercy? The verse goes on to tell us why he's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for you and me. John 3.16, you know it, says it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why Jesus came, to condemn you and you say you're a sorry sack of garbage. No, that's not why he came. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. That's his plan. He doesn't want any of us to perish. He wants all of us to come to know him because of his great love. Here's the interesting thing I thought about this week. Every reason for God's love and God's mercy, by the way, is found in one person. Jesus. His reason for love and mercy is not found in you or me. We don't give him any reason to love us. Because we're sinners. Now he loves us because he created us. But when it comes to salvation, there's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. He loves us with the great love anyway. Therefore, I think maybe it would help some of us, myself included from time to time, to stop trying to make yourself lovable to God. He already loves you. You don't have to do anything for him to love you. He already loves you because he chooses to love you. And because of his great mercy and his great love, we get to simply receive his love while recognizing, of course, that we're unworthy of it. That's the grace part of being a Christian. Some people in our world have confused Christianity to think it's a checklist of things that we do. And I read my Bible, I had my devotion, I got up, I prayed, I tithed. You do all those things, yes, but you do all those things because you're saved, not to get saved. You do all those things because of the great love of Jesus is why you choose to do or not do those things. That's not a prerequisite to know God. It's not how you get check marks with God. It's not how you move up in the social hierarchy with God. Oh, I've done all this, God. Well, I am very special in your kingdom. We talked about that last week. The greatest in the kingdom is a child. So Paul is saying, he's reminding us, the reason we have to understand the good news is because it's contingent upon God's mercy. It's also important to recognize his love. But then he says this in verse 5. Even when we were dead, God made us alive with Christ. By his grace, you have been saved. Now, grace is different than mercy. Mercy is God does not give you and I what we deserve. Just like I didn't get that ticket. I didn't get put under the jail. I didn't get arrested. Probably what should have happened. That's mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. God's riches at Christ's expense. I've heard G-R-A-C. I've heard it explained that way. That's pretty good. God's given you his best even though you don't deserve it. If you have kids or nephews, nieces, young friends, maybe in a class or you're a coach. Kids, I know our kids often did things wrong. They got punished. They had restriction and things like that. But there were often times where we showed them great mercy. 
and the switch stayed on the bush. They didn't get what they should have gotten. And additionally, maybe they got something that they didn't deserve. That's grace. The awesome grace of God. He goes on to tell us more about this understanding this good news. He says in verse 6, He has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Spiritually speaking, when you move from over here to over here, you are seated, not physically, spiritually. Physically, you're here in the Family Life Center. Spiritually, you and I are seated at the right hand of God because we're in Christ Jesus. That doesn't amaze you. And it's, the synapses are not firing this morning because I was over here. I was dead spiritually. I was in a coffin. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was headed to hell because of the work of the Holy Spirit and me receiving the free gift of God. Now I'm over here and I am seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. That's called transformation. That's amazing. And that's not anything I bring to the table. Again, that's because of the goodness of God. So I'm raised up and I'm seated with him. Why in the world would Jesus do that? Why would he do that? Here's why. Verse 7. I love this. So that in the coming ages, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches, immeasurable riches, some translations say, of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So one way to see the greatness of the grace of God, is to see how Paul is explaining here that God is begging you and I to receive His grace. So that He can do what He says there in verse 7. He can show the surpassing riches of His grace. You know, sometimes when I offer somebody a gift and they refuse to accept it, I just stick it back in my pocket and I move along. That's not God. Aren't you glad? In my life, God, through preachers and through the Bible and through small group leaders and Sunday school class teachers and camp people, over and over and over and over and over again, people shared the good news with me and I kept rejecting, rejecting, rejecting until finally one day I said, okay, I'm going to accept this free gift. That shows us the awesome love of God that He continues and continues and continues to pound at our heart. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and your heart is pounding and you're going, I don't understand physically what's happening to me right now. I will tell you, it could be that the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart again and again and again and again. You're saying, why would the Holy Spirit do that? Why would He do that? The Holy Spirit's not an it, by the way. Why would He do that? Because of the greatness of the love of God. He loves you. He loves you. Even when we refuse His mercy and His grace, He reaches out begging us to receive this free gift. Because He says in verse 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is a free gift of God so that we can't boast about it. It's almost like this. The, The wording there and the imagery that He's trying to communicate is, Heath will understand this, at Dorman High School, the best high school in the nation... Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Wishful thinking, I know, I know. But when we went there, the old dorm in the real Dorman High School, it was, you know, where Walmart now is. When we went there, when you would come into the lobby of Dorman High School, there were these huge trophy cases. Glass cases and all these trophies that were in there basically to say, look at Dorman High School. 
The imagery that Paul is using there is saying to us, the reason that God continues to pound at your heart and my heart is because you, once you move from here to over here and you accept Christ and His grace, you become one of His trophies that He puts in His trophy case so He can point to all the world and say, look at that, look at that, they're awesome, look at that. That's why He loves you. He wants to show you off to the world. What He does through you and through your life is in His trophy case. It's not about you. It's about Him. But He wants to use you in a positive way, in a powerful way. So how do we get a hold of this good news? What's so good about it? We've got to understand there's bad news. We have to understand who made the good news possible. We've got to understand what the good news is all about. And if you have moved from here to here, dear friend, you have all the tools, all the information necessary to go out and share your faith. You may feel like you don't. You may feel like you don't know the Bible very well. You may feel like you're not equipped very well. You may feel like you're not a fantastic speaker. Regardless of what you think, I will tell you, I don't feel like I'm any of those things. And when I start to feel like I'm some of those things, and then I do that, I think that's when God goes, well, you're not really dependent on me very much, are you? Because a person's acceptance of what I share when it comes to the good news, whether they accept it or not, is on them, not on me. God does not task you and I with the results of sharing our faith. He only says, go share your faith. He doesn't say, go share your faith. And by the way, I'm expecting this week 10 out of 10. If not, next week we're going to add on and you're going to have to do 15. Some of us in our work ethic, in our work mode, and maybe doing sales and stuff, that's what happens in those, in those cultures and in that world. That's not how it works with Jesus. The last thing he says to us is this. Verse 8, by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not a result of works, so nobody can boast. But here's, here's the key part. Verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then he has a transitional couple of words in the next section. Therefore, remember. Therefore, remember. That's the last thing we have to do is remember. God did not just save us from the wrath over here that we would have incurred had we not accepted His love and His mercy and His grace. But He moved us from being over here to over here in right standing with Him and to have His grace and mercy and to be a child of God. Why? So that we could be His workmanship. The word there, the Greek word, is pomia. Which actually means poem. Which actually could be translated a work of art. In other words, God did this work in our heart and in our life. Yes, to free us from hell. To free us from our trespasses and our sins. To give us eternal life and move us over here. But it wasn't just so we could move over here and just be a trophy in the trophy case. As awesome as that is. It's so that we would partner with Him, the creator of the universe, and be a co-laborer. By our workmanship that he has created for us to do in Christ Jesus before even the foundation of the earth. He has stuff for us to do. Works don't play a part in securing our salvation. But show me a person who is a child of God 
And they will be doing works not to get saved, not to gain God's acceptance. They will be doing that as a lifestyle of thankfulness because of what God has done for them. When my kids, early on, they had a chore list. I grew up with a chore list. I know that probably is outdated, old-fashioned, and some people are going, what is a chore list? We had, my sister can vouch us at home, a chore list on the refrigerator. There were boxes. There were things to check. Empty the trash, vacuum, you know, wash the dishes, blah, blah, blah. This chore list that was on there. And you know what? Sometimes we did it, and our mom and dad was, of course, we were latchkey kids. They both worked full-time. They were ecstatic. They were excited. But there's sometimes where we didn't. We had schoolwork, or maybe we wanted to watch reruns of whatever, you know, Match Game 78 or whatever the game show was on TV. Some of you guys I know. It's okay. Price is right. Whatever. And we didn't get them done. And they would come home. Their love for us did not change because we did things or we didn't do things. And we didn't do things on the chore list to get them to love us or not love us. We did things on the chore list because they worked 40, 50, 60 hours a week. They were dead dog tired when they came in the house. And all we wanted to do as teenagers was just show mom and dad a little bit. We love you. You let us live here rent free. You let us eat here rent free. So it was a thank you. It wasn't to get in there graces. And God has prepared you and I before the foundation of the world to do some of those works. You say, Jack, what are those works for me? I don't know. Ask the Lord and he'll tell you what those works are for you. So here's the question this morning. Two questions. Here's the first one. Have you received the good news? Have you received the good news? Not just have you heard the good news, But have you received the good news? Because if you haven't received the good news of Jesus, then you're the before picture that Paul just described. And it's it's really simple. I'm very fearful that in the church culture we have really complicated it. Because it's very simple to receive the free gift of God. If this was a box and had a million dollar check in here for me, first of all, it would bounce. But if it had something hugely valuable in here, and I said to you, come receive your free gift. I dare say only someone that's intellectually challenged would remain in their seat this morning. Most of us would go, I got to have that. Now, the the sad news is this morning, supplies are limited in the boxes. The good news about grace is it's unlimited. It's unlimited. So this morning, my question is, it really is simple. And church family, I, I love you more than words can say. We have a dear friend in our church family, I'll be updating you on in just a minute, who was singing a song up here a couple weeks ago. And today he's in the hospital. What's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sharing that with you to give you some scare tactic. That's not how I work. But life is life and things happen. And if you walk out the door today and you don't personally know 
Jesus. If I could somehow peel back the layers of your heart and know that, I would chase you out that door. I would chase you out the, through the parking lot. If you got in your car and headed down the highway, I would chase you down the highway. Because God loves you. So have you received his free gift? Not that you know about it, but have you, have you said thank you? And received? That's, that's it. That's what it means to come to know Jesus, to be saved, to be born again. Now, there are some things that happen after that as you grow as a disciple. But the transforming part is just to say, Wow, thank you, Lord. I recognize I need it. Because I don't want to be over here and be dead in my sins and trespasses. I want to know you and have life. So we're going to do an invitation a little different today. If you need to receive Jesus, I want you to come take one of these. In just a minute, I'm going to ask Heath to come up here and stay with me and have some of these. Nothing magic about this box. It's symbolic just to say, I am receiving the free gift of salvation and eternal life from Jesus today. What's different about the message today is, I'm going to ask you to do this. When I was 16, I've shared this story briefly, I think, with you, sitting in a seat. At, at then it was Anderson College, Anderson University now. And I heard a speaker share the gospel. I went through the motions of joining the church and signing a card and even being baptized when I was probably 9 or 10. But I never really received the gift of salvation. Luckily, there was a friend sitting beside me in that auditorium that day. And man, my heart was beating, like maybe yours is today. And I was sweating. And luckily this friend loved me enough to reach over there and say, Hey, let me go down with you. And the floodgates started. So church, I'm going to ask you to do something. You don't have to go out there to share your faith. You can do it in this room. Maybe you're sitting beside somebody today. Maybe it's a friend, parent, spouse. And even as the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you, you've been praying for that person sitting beside you. I want to challenge you. Maybe you just need to grab their hand, put your hand on their knee and say, you want me to go down with you? Maybe that would be the catalyst for them to come down this morning and receive this gift. Would you pray with me? Father, Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now, in this moment, Lord, would capture our hearts and our minds and our attention. Because the truth of your word, not the truth from a preacher, but the truth of your word, is so very, very important. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in here who's never said yes to you, I, I know, God, what happens in heaven, that your word tells us when someone says yes to you and receives that gift, that the angels in heaven rejoice. But I also know that in this room, in this place, when we as followers of Jesus know that someone else has given their life to you, we also will celebrate and rejoice. So I pray if there's anyone in this room, even in this moment, that needs to receive this gift from you, Lord, that they would do it. Lord, many of us in here have already received that gift of salvation. 
But every person in this room, including this preacher, know people. Friends, co-workers, people in this community who have not received that gift. And you have entrusted to us the incredible, awesome, beautiful task of sharing the most important, the most glorious, the best news ever with other people. So I pray that you would help us do that. As you continue to pray this morning, just a couple of thoughts and I'll close and we'll sing our invitation hymn. If you're here this morning and you need to receive this gift, then the invitation is for you to do that. And we'll love you, be overjoyed for you. If the invitation for you this morning is, you'd say, Jack, I already know that free gift of salvation, but I need to recommit my heart to share that, to share the good news. Then as you know, this, these chairs up front, you can come and sit, kneel, pray, grab my hand or Heath's hand in just a minute and pray, whatever God leads you to do. I pray you'd be obedient to his spirit this morning. Have your way today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing that invitation hymn. If you need to come, Heath and I will be standing here at the front. If you need to receive that free gift of salvation, I pray that you would respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you, or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.